say Africa must wake up the sleeping sons of Jacob for what tomorrow may bring may our dynasty on the morning bliss can you tell me young ones who are we today we are talking about a legacy of wealth Paul Nzimande, author and life coach and mental wellness advocate, all round a great human being, absolutely amazing man, a giant when it comes to empowering us with knowledge, is going to be helping us navigate this um, topic of leaving a legacy of wealth this morning. Join in on the conversation 0614-104-107 on WhatsApp. Good morning, Paul. How are you doing? Good morning, Matul. Good morning. Um, yeah, we are blessed. God is faithful. We're waking. We're waking up to another beautiful day. Yes. Good morning. Monday. You know, when yes, you're talking wealth, people are thinking of rands and cents. People are thinking of that big house and cars that you leave for your children. Uh, is this the correct definition of a legacy of wealth? not 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 entirely i think maybe let's 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 broaden the definition a little bit at the moment um the the definition seems to be narrowed to one cash money uh, but two possessions but i want to qualify that even further uh, as you have pointed out three lifestyle mm. now we have future generations we have inherited so we're focusing on legacy we've inherited something from some people we've got to leave something for some people and the quality of life of the people that are coming after us is dependent on what we do with what we have but also what we do with what we've received now one of the things about uh, wealth just some of the key factors that i'd like us to to notice is that number one wealth should be able to supply your current needs number two wealth should be able to lessen the impact of economic shocks so if something happens that's got an economic impact on you and it's unexpected you should still have the cushion to deal with that but three wealth should allow you to cater for future needs so whether these are your needs or the needs of other people. And this is not wealth advice. This is not financial advice because by law, financial advice can only be given under specific circumstances. So I'm just giving a broad definition, but I, I, I want us to look at three specific things. Number one, the ability to provide for our current needs. Number two, the ability to lessen the impact of economic shocks should they arise. Number three, to cater for future economic needs. All right. Uh, or for future needs. Now, so three things. On our mm. dynasty, we look at how Africans left a legacy of wealth for generations to come. And what currently is happening within Africans when it comes to that legacy. Let's look at them in those three aspects. Okoko, our great, great uh, ancestors, how did they leave a, um, a legacy of wealth for us in all those aspects? So, 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 in terms of current needs, you found that, and this is amazing, this is the most amazing things. Firstly, they lived in harmony with the, with, the, with the environment. So when they took what they needed out of the environment, they did not degrade the environment. 
it's, it's, and this is this is this I find very fascinating because in the way that we're doing it currently, our industrialization and all these other things is now we're talking about global warming. We're talking about how we need to now create the circular economy because the environment is being degraded. Now we're talking about carbon emissions and 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 this is just evidence that the way we are going about uh, our economies and the way we're going about supplying our current needs and of course creating value is degrading the environment and therefore we are becoming already a liability for generations so at the moment every time we go and use plastic Every time we go and use something that's not biodegradable, we are being a liability to the environment, we are being a liability to the future. Let me make a practical example. I live by the sea, and uh, there's now lately a lot of big rains, and you should see what the streams look like when there has been rain. Just the amount, the amount of... uh, 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 for for lack of a better word, I'll call it uh, 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 refuse and rubbish. But the amount of rubbish that gets washed, mm. uh, and you can see what it, this has been produced by human beings who were consuming for their immediate needs, but they were destroying the environment for future needs. Let, let, let's let's make another example. Look at um the way our our, our forefathers built for their accommodation. They used 100% biodegradable material. You know, those that, those uh, huts, uh, they were, as much as they were made of grass and wood, and, and it's 100% biodegradable, so it's, it's environmentally friendly. Yet they were still able to create an environment that would be warm in winter, cool in summer, so if you talk about the science of um, thermo, you know, if you talk about thermal science, the ability to just manage temperatures correctly. Um, sure, we've got better ways to do it now. We've got air conditioning. We've got what, what, what. But in terms of how that relates to the environment, how to strike the balance and therefore still live an environment out of which future generations can. You know, I was at some stage involved in a business fishing for lobster off the east coast of KwaZulu-Natal. At the time that we were fishing for lobster here, but this is like many years ago, um, some good 20 or so years ago, one of the things we found was that the specific species of lobster we were fishing for was actually out of, uh, like, the, there wasn't enough lobster because the lobster was traveling from Mozambique and it was being plundered at source. Wow. So there were, mm. so there were people off the coast of uh, Mozambique. The suspicions at the time was that it was Japanese ships, but they were plundering the resource. Now, so we are plundering not just on land, we are plundering marine resources as well to supply for our needs. Now, what kind of needs are we supplying? Opulence, you know, we're supplying lifestyle. If you look at most of what we do, it really is about lifestyle rather than our needs. In fact, I'd go so far as to say the way we are going about it now is we've got this idea that if you can live large, 
or at least look like you're living large, then you've made it. And so the object of living has become the idea of displaying opulence rather than actually having wealth to be able to lessen the impact of economic shocks, provide for current and future needs. So what are we doing in order to look like we've made it? We're buying the biggest cars, uh, guzzling up the biggest amount of gas and releasing these gases into the atmosphere. You know, so, so, so there's just that part where our wealth and lifestyle definition leads to spending and that spending leads to degradation of the environment, both on land and off the land. Now, talk about the skies. You, you and I both know the issue of global warming, that it's about us eroding um, layers in the atmosphere, the ozone layer in the atmosphere. All because we are doing things that on the surface look good. We've created big industries that churn up big smoke, and the people who run those industries drive big cars which guzzle big amounts of gas. Of course, we've become conscious, so I'm preaching to the converted. But I'm speaking to, to the fact of how the evolution of our pursuit of wealth has been at the expense of uh, the environment. Let's come to people. It's also been at the expense of people. Now, now, how did we get here? Yeah. We'll get to the people, but how did we get here? If our forefathers were leaving land that is arable, they were leaving water that is fresh and clean, they were leaving cattle, how did we get to leaving um, a dirty atmosphere and cars that are indebted to the next generation? What brought this about? I mean, you speak about um, the lobster that you were fishing and the, the suspicions are it's not necessarily Africans were involved in dismantling this particular, um, you know, flow in the ecosystem in the ocean. We got involved, we got caught up in industrialization. And, and it's not Africans only. There's certainly not, not just Africans. I mean, if you look at, um, if you look at a study of uh, uh, carbon emissions, um, at the moment, one of the biggest contributors is China. Um, if you dealt with carbon emissions, if I look at the numbers, if you dealt with carbon emissions in China alone, um, the rest of us wouldn't have to worry about carbon emissions. Come to South Africa, if you dealt with the mining uh, industry alone, in terms of just their usage of um, energy and, and, and carbon emissions, the whole country wouldn't have to bother. So you have industrialization, and you have industrialization in our country that is driven mainly by mining activities. So what does that mean? That means for us as African, we got, and I'm going to say this in as painful a manner as possible, we got a well-developed mining sector that developed at the expense of the rest of the sectors of the economy and the quality of life and the environment. If you look, even our energy, uh, the structure of our energy supplies, it was structured to supply primarily to the mining industry. Even the rails were developed primarily to cater to the mining industry. So our whole structure of the economy was leaning very heavily towards mining. Uh, mining just became an energy guzzler, but it also came, became a huge liability to the environment. But it became a huge liability to the people as well. 
Isn't it, it became funny? huge. Isn't it funny that uh, what you speak of, mining, has not necessarily beneficiated Africans except for making them employees? Africans have not really um, had the bars of gold in their uh, treasure troves, but the gold comes from their land and it has affected and impacted them and the way they live and do things. Let me remind you. I just want to remind you of something uh, that, that, that Africans used to say before, just to give you an indication of the degradation of the quality of life to make others rich that we've had to experience. There's the saying, Wow, we are Wow, we are now these are men, 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 uh, and and they won't cry tears. Tra- translate for those who don't say. understand. This is Zulu, please <laughs> translate. So it's a, it's a, So what would happen is that when men are together, they would then begin this chant, and this chant says, "Where we are happy," which means, "Where were you going?" And the others respond, "Where were you going?" In the place of steel where the steel is clanking and making sounds and it's going kene, kene, kene. So the point is, where were you going to the places where there is... So when they say, I say, it is so hot in the burning furnaces and all you you can hear is the clankering of metal. So you have people, men, who were taken from their homes, taken to places of burning steel where it was so hot so hot so hot that men had to warn one another to say listen you might not survive the place it's just such a so when they say where were you going they're saying man once you go there you regret it yeah yeah and these are strong people but they regretted working in those steel furnaces and those noisy clankering places and psychology has taught us now what it does it stresses people it destroys their health. And we now know, of course, the cost of asbestos societies that we've had to deal with as a people. Um, I still believe that those who are responsible have not paid nearly half what they've had to pay. Listen, let me give you statistics. In the, Of the top 10 alcohol-abusing countries in the world, Southern Africa contributes uh, four countries. We contribute South Africa, we contribute Namibia, we contribute Lesotho, we contribute Sa- Sa- Swaziland. Now, it is very interesting to note that those four countries are labor-sending areas to the mines. So what am I saying? I'm saying, is it a coincidence that the places that supplied labor to the mines have turned out to become the places that abuse alcohol the most? Mm. Is, is, mm. is, is, it, is it a coincidence? Uh, there's a correlation. There's a correlation yes. there, most definitely. It, it, it's, it's definitely talking. So, it's definitely so talking. We, we, we are left in a precarious position because here we are, industrialization has played its role. We can't turn back the hands of time, but we need to now look forward. We need to now give our children a good legacy when it comes to wealth, um, the possessions, the finances, the lifestyle, uh, the, the mental, you know, awareness of, of things. How, where do we start? And also, you know, there's, there's people who say um, even the poverty mindset is that of people, whether they've got money or not, what they think of wealth, the physical money and possessions. And that's where most people are right now. So where do we start to help our young? Okay, so... I have very radical views, and they are my own views, so I'm issuing a disclaimer. 
right up front. They're not the views of the station, no, of this show. First of all, we've got to start by dealing with this witchcraft. Uh, I truly believe that the way we go about advertising these days is just plain witchcraft. So because we are convincing people to spend their last money. You know, if you, look, if you look at the summary of advertising these days, the summary of advertising is, if you get my product, you will have made it in life. What kind of witchcraft is that? Because people have got big budgets. They're spending big budgets to convince other people to say, if you get my product, that's all you need to do. You will have made it in life. They show, and I mean, advertising is repeatedly bombarded into your mind. So it changes the way you think. Because they've studied the science and the art of making your mind receive certain ideas, adopt them, and live by them. And that's how they're able to make you come into a shop, watch a particular product. And the other day, honestly, the other day I was looking, I saw an alcohol billboard. And as I was looking at it, because I'm so self-aware, I could actually feel myself salivating. And I thought, no, but this is witchcraft, man. This is witchcraft. <laughs> the way they look so nice, enticing, eh? enticing it's it's it's, um, it's like I the debt create, get more debt enticing there is a science to creating that level of enticement and it is a subliminal science that talks to your subconscious mind and makes you behave in ways that you you initially did not intend to so we are not a bunch of stupid people we are a bunch of people who have been indoctrinated uh, uh, by this a consumption-driven culture. By the way, the culture of the, the economy of South Africa, if you look at, uh, if you split it between production and consumption, we have a consumption-driven economy. We don't have a production-driven economy. In other words, if we stop spending, the economy goes down. So when people say the economy is in recession, what they're really saying is the rest of us are not buying. They're not saying the producers are not producing. They're saying <laughs> the consumers are not buying. And, and, and you hear people, leaders, big leaders say, no, the economy uh, is in a recession. The economy is bad. And then they create packages which are going, you know, then there's debt relief and all these other things which are going to make us spend more again. And it's not even about helping us save more. No, no, no. We must just spend. So in my view, even the way the leadership of the economy is structured, it is structured to encourage us to spend. And that is what they evaluate. That is what they measure. That is what they encourage. Number three. So I've spoken now about advertising. I've spoken about the, the approach of uh, the leadership of this country. The third one is I, I honestly feel, I honestly feel this is my view. I honestly feel that uh, we are going to need to come together and start a, 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 a revolution in terms of how we help our people a, 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 a respect labor. But, you know, bring back the dignity of labor. Let me say this very carefully because I'm coming to a very delicate point. So I'm going to say it very carefully. Allow me, please. Let's tread very carefully. Our brothers from the continent have come into this country and for the most part they've taken the jobs that we used to look down upon and they've made a living out of those jobs you know because we want the good jobs why this is a theory that i'm presenting if it's wrong please forgive me my theory is that 
We've then created an economy where people believe in jobs and because you've got a job, you're going to get credit and because you've got credit, you're going to afford a lifestyle that you don't really afford. And so the glamour of being in a job is that it affords you credit and lifestyle. So there's a link between the perception of job and the resultant lifestyle. By contrast, when you're dealing with people whose entire lives are based on cash, the idea is not a job, the idea is an income opportunity. Now, because we are lifestyle driven, whatever makes you look like you have not made it, we look down upon. So we look down upon gardening. Do you know what a struggle it is to get guys to just, I have a yard here where I say to the guys, listen, if you see my grass grow anytime, because they're asking me for money, People I grew up with asking me for money. I say, if you see my grass grow anytime, just come in, do the yard, I'll pay you. And they think that that's demeaning. So the dignity of labor is gone. And we think that there are jobs that are menial. And we don't realize that it's not how much you've earned. It's not how you have earned it. It's what you do with the money that you have earned. It's not how much you earn. It's not how you earn it. It's what you do with the money once you have earned it. How do you create your cash flows? So, so, so we need to return the dignity of labor. We need to make it more honorable to work than to ask for money. You know, we need to make it more honorable to earn your money than to just sit and wait for the 350 that the government is pushing out to, to the indigent. Teach so that's, them that's really... while they're young <laughs> that it is important to work and earn your keep. It is important to be honorable. But that's not what's happening, yes. you know. Social media is also saying, ah, you can easily make that money. You flex, you flex. There's ways to make quick money. Let's go to an ATMS voice note. Uh, good morning, Nkonulego and uh, A-teamers. It's Bonga from Devon here. Oh, this man, Paul, is full of wealth. I, I believe uh, our education, uh, I mean, failed us. I mean, when we're doing Bantu education, there were subjects like health, there were subjects like good citizenship, those subjects will form the basis of wealth that Paul is talking about. Uh, when we're doing health education, we were taught at school that you don't litter. Even at home, you must dig a hole where we'll put all the papers and burn them so that at least it cannot get into the streams and all those things. We're drinking water from the spring. So if you litter, that, I mean, when it rains, that the old litter will go to the streams. So those streams were protected indirectly. Health education taught us that. Good citizenship told us how a human being should live to fit into a good society. But our education system cancelled all those things and they brought things like life orientation that is not well taught to to bring up good people or good citizenship in the country. Education really let us down our own education thank you as much as i hear you a team what are we educating our own children at home what is it that we are saying there's another message here from gabi musase in lesotho and gabi says patricia and 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 gabi Okay, um, and that ends the Monday. This is a very interesting topic, and it's so true. I'm just looking at how much we abuse alcohol here. So yeah, it's it's it. You you are pulling at at strings here, very uh, uh, tight strings in our hearts because we are so scared to introspect.
Let's uh, wrap up our conversation. How do we create this legacy of wealth? If when it comes to education, you know, such a powerful, such a powerful factor. Uh, if you look at, if we, and this is, this is just, uh, again, I'm going to sound nasty, so I apologize in advance. If we put as much effort on financial literacy as we put on sex education, and I'm going to pause there, and I think that's my conclusion. <laughs> if we put as much like effort pause, on yeah. financial literacy as we put on sex education, a child as young as five years, six years in school, I mean, yo, children, by the time they get to nine, ten, they know sex, they know sexual organs, they know everything, but they don't know a bank balance, they don't know debit and credit. So Where are we our to, priorities? We need to change our education system. We need to wrap it up. Um, just uh, quickly, uh, your closing comments. Cater for our current needs, lessen the impact of economic shocks, unexpected economic occurrences, Leave, uh, have something to provide for future needs, both for ourselves and our generations. If we can focus our economic thinking and activity around this and less around conspicuous spending and presenting an image, borrowing money we don't have to buy things we don't need to impress people we don't know. Thank you. Thank you so very much. What are your social media handles, uh, uh, Paul, so that ATMers can be in touch with you? I'm on Facebook. It's Paul Nzimande. Twitter at Paul Nzi. Instagram, Paul underscore Nzimande. My private email address is paulnzimande at gmail.com.